where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image, whether we can gather in the same space or whether we are in different spaces throughout the city and throughout the United States. If you're joining us on Facebook today, we are delighted that you are with us, and we hope that all of you will find these moments, moments of rest and renewal, as we remember our call to worship God and to trust God. Clearly, there are some things that are different right now, and we're having to make some adjustments and how we do things, and we're getting new information all the time. So we really are trying to make the best decisions we can with the information that we have. We want you all to know the church campus as a whole will be closed this week, at least through Friday. During the week, your pastoral team will be meeting and consulting with other um, churches and other resources to determine what the best course of action is for us here at Bethany. But we just want you to know that, that we will do our best to stay on top of that, and we will communicate that on the website, on Facebook. We will send out the emails through constant contact, but we encourage you uh, just to be attentive to what may or may not be happening here on campus. That means that all events, all meetings, all classes have been canceled, including our midweek meal and our midweek worship this week. We really appreciate your patience with us as we navigate these waters that are uncharted for any of us as we seek wisdom and discernment uh, about the best practices to ensure everyone's safety and well-being. You still can register your attendance in worship today. Whether you're here in person or whether you're with us online through Facebook, there is a link on our website that you can go and fill out the registration form. If you're on Facebook, you're welcome to comment in the comment section. We'll count your attendance there as well. And uh, we encourage you to just find a time. Let us know that you're here. Let us know that you're okay. You can also always submit prayer requests on the website. That's a good time and a good place to do that. A reminder that the website will be where we keep information up to date. If you're here present with us in worship, there's also a registration form in your bulletin. If you would like to fill that out, you're welcome to do that and put it in one of the offering plates that are outside the doors of the worship center when you leave today. We will also not be passing the offering plates to receive an offering today. We encourage you still as you are able to give and support the church financially and support the church in its mission to the community around us. There are offering plates at the outside the doors. Again, if you want to put your offering in there, you're welcome to. You're also welcome to give online or to uh, send a check by mail to the church office. We encourage you to continue upholding your, your vows that you make all of us to support the church in all the ways that we can. For uh, a while, we will not be greeting one another and passing the peace by exchanging physical contact, but we want to encourage you to still exchange words of peace and words of encouragement with one another and for one another. So some of the things have changed for now, but there are some things that remain the same. What hasn't changed is that God is still with us, that God sees us and hears us and knows us and loves us. What hasn't changed is that we are still the body of Christ and we still need one another and there are ways that we can support one another. We encourage you to check in on one another, call people, text people. Uh, social media, for all of its challenges, can also be a really great tool. So use it well. Use it with kindness and compassion. Check on your neighbors. Check on people who might not have what they need. They might have, need something that you have. 
What also hasn't changed is God's word to us, God's invitation to us, God's provision for us, God's love for us, and God's call for us to worship, not just as an event, but as a way of life. So even though some things are different today and for some time to come, we can worship with hope, with confidence, with courage, and with gratitude. We can worship unafraid of the present, unafraid of the future, because we worship as ones who belong to God, who holds us even as he holds the present and the future in the palms of his hands. As we begin worship today, let us pray. Loving God, we pray that you would help us to truly know that you are with us wherever we are. Pour out your spirit on us to calm our fears and ease our anxieties and give us peace in the midst of so much uncertainty. Allow us to feel all the feelings about the current circumstances while also landing on the truth of your love for us and your love for all people. Remind us that we are not alone, that we are in this together, and that you are with us. Grant us your grace in this time of worship to renew our hearts, our minds, and our spirits with the life and the light and the love of your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able for our call to worship. We do not gather in vain, for God is working in our hearts. The love of Our worship strengthens and empowers us to share the gospel. Proclaim the good news with boldness. 
And let us remain standing as we're able and sing together, Rejoice, the Lord is King. Rejoice, the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Mortals give thanks and sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your hearts, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Jesus the Savior reigns, the God of truth and love. When he had purged our stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your hearts, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail, he rules over earth and hell. The keys of earth and hell are to our Jesus given. Lift up your hearts, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in glorious hope, Jesus the judge shall come. And take his servants up to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the archangel's voice. The trump of God shall sound rejoice. Please be seated. We uh, will not be doing birthday prayer today, but we will be sure that the next time we do birthday prayer, anyone who has missed their birthday prayer will be welcome to come up and receive the gift of that blessing. The other thing I didn't mention is that we did have uh, some new members join last week, and we always celebrate when we have new members join. Some of them are here this morning with us. We also will greet them formally the next time that we are able to do that in a way that honors them and recognizes them. So even in the midst of all the uncertainty, there are things that we give thanks for, things that we celebrate, including that this is the season of Lent, which may feel weird to celebrate that it's a season of Lent, but it seems to be the perfect time to be walking in this wilderness together, to be remembering the way Jesus lived, his ministry, his life, and ultimately the way he suffered and died for us, that he might be raised to new life for us. And so each week we come and we have this cross and the signs of the cross to remind us of where we are. Today we place before the cross the bread and the cup, which remind us of Jesus' last supper with his disciples, and his, as he ate that meal with them, Jesus told his disciples, This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you upon the cross. This cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you upon the cross. And so let us remember each time we receive the bread and the cup, 
when we gather for Holy Communion. And I would say, let us remember every time, each time we partake of bread and cup with one another, each time we offer bread and cup to one another, especially for those who don't have bread and cup. Let us remember who we are, even in the midst of this season. I invite you now to join with me in the prayer of confession as we lift our hearts and our voices together. God of mercy and grace, forgive me for holding so tightly to my own ways that I fail to discover the wonderful life available to me in Jesus Christ. Forgive me when I have been part of the problem rather than part of the salvation you offer to your people. Strengthen me once again for the work you have set before me, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to those around me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, proving God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. 
day when my faith shall be sight. Thus clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. As we hold on to that, that it is well with our souls, we'll move into a time of prayer that will look a little different today. We won't have, again, we won't have our offering uh, in just a moment. I encourage you to continue to give financially as you can uh, to support the ministry of the church as we provide ministry to our community. And so in this time of prayer, I invite you to let this, these prayers be your offering us today and for the world. We'll offer a guided prayer with some time to pause and pray specifically in those pauses. When our anxiety is high and when the unknowns seem so frightening and when circumstances change so rapidly and things seem out of control, when we are bombarded with information and we aren't sure really what to believe or what to do, we can always, always start with breathing and praying. So that's what we're going to do. If you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to close your eyes. Just be present. And take a deep breath in. And let that breath fill you. And as you exhale to let go of fear or worry or anxiety. You would continue breathing in as deeply as you can, letting the breath fill you. And with every exhale, you would breathe out anything that is creating angst for you today, anything keeping you from being present to God. Oh, holy and loving God, in so many ways we are without words today. Our lives, our communities, our nation, our world have been upended by the coronavirus, and we are doing our best not to panic, not to be afraid, not to be frantic in our response. 
and we need your help. You, O oh God, are our refuge and our strength. You are an ever-present help in time of need. So even as we continue to breathe in deeply of your spirit, we pray boldly for the slowing down and the cessation of the spread of this virus. It seems so beyond our control, and we believe that it is not beyond yours. We pray for those who are currently fighting the virus, that your healing grace and power would be at work in their bodies, and that you would strengthen them also in mind and spirit to persevere with hope. We pray for all living in isolation that you would provide your presence and your peace in tangible ways to them. We pray for those who are most vulnerable to this virus, that you would be especially merciful in protecting them. We pray for the families and loved ones of those who have died because of this virus. That you would somehow comfort them, even in this loss and grief. We pray for all medical professionals and all the people on the front lines of dealing with the intense pressures of this crisis that you would grant them resilience in their weariness, discernment in diagnosis, and deep compassion as they continue to provide care. And we pray for those working diligently around the clock for a cure, that you would grant them wisdom and clarity in the search. And we pray for the families of all of these who are on the front lines, that they would know that the sacrifice they are making as well is seen by you. We pray for the World Health Organization, for the CDC, for our national and local governments, for the heads of schools and hospitals and other institutions, that you would grant them wisdom beyond their own wisdom as to how to contain the virus, faith beyond their own faith, to stand firm in the face of fear and strength beyond their own strength to support institutions and people in their care in this time of turmoil. We pray for the economic, emotional, mental, and social impact that the quarantines, the bans on large gatherings, the closings of businesses and schools, the cancellation of events, the social distancing, we pray for the impact that that is having and will continue to have for weeks and months and even years to come. We pray for people who cannot afford not to work and who are worried about how they will pay the bills and feed their families and secure health care. We pray for those who live on the streets and in shelters who have no other home in which to find safety. 
We pray for the children and youth whose main source of food is at their schools, who may go longer without adequate food. We pray for those who do not have access to the health care that they need. We pray for all who are distressed and disappointed and discouraged by any or all of the different pieces of what is happening around us. It feels so complicated and difficult to sort it all out. In the midst of this crisis, Lord, we also remember that this virus is not the only thing impacting our lives. We pray for those who are suffering for other reasons, for those with other illnesses, for those who are lonely and lost and discouraged already, for those recovering from the recent storms, for those struggling in ways that are only exacerbated by this crisis and who may be overlooked as our focus remains on the virus. And in the midst of it all, we also continue to find ways to remember your goodness, to give thanks, to celebrate life itself, and to look for how you are at work in all the things and all the people around us. Grateful that we can look for your light that shines in the darkness and trust that it is there. We pray that you would help us to trust you, to seek you, to love you, and to love one another that you would empower us to be patient and kind and gentle and compassionate with ourselves and with one another, reminding us that we are all in this together. Show us how to be generous with one another, reminding us to live with a mindset of abundance, of enough, rather than a mindset of scarcity. Thank you for those who are at work making sure that we have the provisions that we need. Show us how to make them available to all. And we pray, Lord, that in this time of imposed social distancing, we might lean into a renewed spiritual intimacy, finding ways to connect with you and with one another, even when we cannot be in the same space. We pray these things in this season of Lent ever more mindful of the longing for new life and for resurrection hope that is ours in Christ. Lord, there's no way we could name all of our prayers today. We're grateful that you hear the ones we can name and that you hear the ones that remain deep within us the ones that really are expressed in size too deep for words. Grant us wisdom. Grant us courage as we pray for your grace 
to sustain and strengthen us. For your peace to guard our hearts and minds. For your spirit to calm our fears and ease our anxiety and empower us to live knowing and assured that we belong to you. We pray with confidence in Jesus' name, believing that Jesus is always and ever interceding for us and lifting our hearts and our voices together in the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able and let us sing together, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church, our blessed Redeemer, saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand. Dear as the apple of thine eye, and graven on thy hand. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend. To her my cares and toils begin, till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy, I prize the earthly waste, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall begin. The brightest glories earth can yield, and brighter bliss of Please be seated. So we're, we're all adjusting a little bit here today and this morning, so I got over here and I told Sherry, I said, I, I don't have my bulletin over here. She said, I'll tell you when to get up. So I'm just going to remind you, if you're, if you're at home watching this, uh, you can go to the uh, check-in on the website on your phone, uh, BethanyUMC.org uh, uh, backslash check-in and uh, fill out a form, or you can, if you're here this morning, you can fill out the forms on the bulletins. If you're watching on Facebook, you can also go onto the uh, Facebook comments section and let us know you're watching. We're just, we've not done this before, and uh, this is the grand experiment. We're kind of wondering how it's going, so um, we're, we're discovering some things here this morning. Uh, so we're going to move into this uh, sermon series, Proclaiming the Kingdom, 
We're going to continue with it. I'm just going to make a couple of uh, comments as we go out front. I'm just, as we're in the middle of all of this and we're all uncertain with it, uh, you know, when we had 9-11, we all gathered together to worship and found a lot of strength in that. And so this one's kind of strange because we're scattering. Uh, one of my friends, uh, young colleagues in Dallas, has often said we're the most connected uh, people of all times through all of our technology and yet the most isolated uh, so perhaps part of what comes out of this is that we learn the truth of that uh, and come to appreciate uh, being able to gather together with each other and support each other as the body uh, coming together uh, in worship and in times of prayer. Uh, also, as we've gone through this week, uh, I know uh, if you're like me, uh, some of us, we've kind of gone from, well, how big a deal is this? And how, I mean, we, we've kind of vacillated about just how far we should go with some of the precautions. Uh, but we had two of our members who were quarantined uh, during part of the week. Uh, and so uh, as we've gone through it, we've been real aware of the reality of that. And uh, if you're not concerned about your own health in this, uh, uh, we're encouraging you to be careful for the sake of others uh, and have concern for others for whom uh, this might be uh, a more lethal kind of event than it would be for some of us. And finally, I would just would say as we go through this, I was struck as we talked about this and people being nervous I was just struck that uh, we're living into a reality that, I don't know, 75% or 80% of the world lives with all the time, uh, this kind of reality of uh, the fragileness of life. Uh, and so uh, there's things even in the midst of this we can learn as we walk through it and that we can be open to learning. Uh, as we talk about proclaiming the kingdom today, and we're going to be uh, going with Jesus to the Sermon on the Mount and uh, just kind of help you locate again. Again, the map's pretty small here, but you can see there on the north end of uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, you can see where he's baptized, and then up on the far north of that, uh, where Capernaum is, we're going to be kind of in that area, uh, and you can see there, there's the Mount of Beatitudes, uh, which is just on the north end of the lake. That map does not come across well well. Uh, you can also see Mount Arbel, which is kind of across the corner of the lake there on the north side. This is the region we're going to be in today as we uh, explore Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we're gathering today, uh, some of us in this room, but many of us uh, uh, by technology. And we ask as we are, are separated apart, that in your spirit you would gather us together. That though we cannot be physically present with each other, we might be present with each other in spirit and in heart. Gather us up this morning, speak your word into the midst of uh, the craziness of this moment of our lives. Uh, reassure us of your presence with us. Uh, let the words of my mouth and let the meditation of our hearts, wherever we may be, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as Jesus begins his ministry, um, and you're going to find this morning, I'm using a lot of material uh, early on out of uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. Uh, when he begins his ministry, uh, he first starts by saying, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, and the way Eugene Peterson puts that is, uh, this Isaiah prophesied sermon came to life in Galilee the moment Jesus started preaching. He picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. Uh, that word repent, you know, to, to turn 180 degrees, to completely reorient. Uh, what's interesting in the, in the uh, Greek language here, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven has come near, the language uh, is very specific uh, there. It's, it's near enough you can touch it. Uh, it's at hand. It's close enough you can reach out and touch it, which is kind of 
ironic this weekend, but uh, normally it would be a little different, but uh, it, it's, it's close. It's not, it's not something that's way off in the distance. We sometimes think of the kingdom of God as something that you have to, to wait until after you die to experience or something that's going to wait till the end of the ages. And the reality is the language used in Scripture of the kingdom or the reign of God, the sovereignty of God, is true anytime God's reign is recognized. And so the kingdom of God is in the midst of our world in the past and in the present and in the future. It's anytime God's people gather and recognize the reign of God, the presence of God. Um, we recognize that God is with us. The passage goes on, uh, this is in Mark's gospel, where um, he's doing basically the same thing. He's heard the news in Mark's gospel about Jesus' arrest. And he, he says that same thing, the kingdom of God has come near, repent, believe in the good news. Uh, and then Peterson says it this way in the message, uh, time's up, God's kingdom is here, change your life and believe the message. And, and the message that Jesus preaches uh, um, comes probably to its most uh, dense place in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is kind of where uh, the, the densest portion of Jesus' teaching uh, is, is brought together, those few chapters, Matthew 5 to 7, where uh, the sermon uh, of Jesus comes together in a way that, that really is um, more powerful, probably, and more dense than pretty much anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, if, if you wanted to know what Jesus thinks uh, or what Jesus wanted to teach us, and, and you really only had time to read a little short, short section, uh, those three chapters would give you a very good overview of Jesus' teaching. It's a very dense piece of material. He delivers these um, traditionally on the Mount of Beatitudes, and uh, if you go uh, to Israel, you'll get to go to the church that is built there. And as I said last week, uh, you know, it was actually built by Mussolini, which you know, I may have some questions about that, but it's a, it's a beautiful structure. It's eight-sided for the eight Beatitudes uh, and sits on top of the mountain. You can see uh, the dome of this church from the village of Capernaum. It's, it's literally maybe a 20, 30-minute walk uh, to get from Capernaum to this area. It's very close by. And as you look out from the top, uh, you can see there's the, the Sea of Galilee below you. You can see how the hillside slopes down toward it. And across the way, uh, you can see the mountains and see uh, that large uh, rising mountain that's rising to the right, which is Mount Arbel. Uh, and, and at the base of that is Magdala, and behind, uh, curving kind of to the right of that would be the Valley of the Doves, the pathway that would take you to uh, Nazareth and to Cana and so forth. So uh, you see it's all very close together, very uh, closely linked. It's not very far apart. And of course, it's, it's obviously um, a beautiful place to be uh, and gorgeous location. So this is where Jesus gathers um, and begins to teach, uh, gathers the crowd and begins to teach. And inside the church is this fresco of him uh, offering that teaching. And he launches into uh, what we are familiar with as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying. And the first piece of this is what we call about those Beatitudes. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that word blessed is where a Beatitude comes from, to be blessed, uh, which is not simply to, um, to, to you know, anticipate uh, the goodness that you're to receive, but to be in the presence of it. Uh, and the way uh, Eugene Peterson does, and I'm going to use a lot of his this morning, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and God's rule. I love that passage. You know, the, the more we are filled with ourselves, the less room there is in us for God to be present. So, so the more we are emptied of ourselves, the more we are poor in spirit, 
uh, the more space there is for God to work. When our ego gets out of the way, there's room for God. Somebody once said that the, the word ego, the letters stand for edging God out. Um, and too often, that's the truth in our lives. We become so focused on ourselves, even in our religious life sometimes. We become so focused on ourselves and our needs that we allow no space for God to dwell within us. Uh, so the Beatitudes begin by reminding us, you know, the, the less of you there is, the more space there is for God and the more God can rule in your lives. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Sometimes when the Beatitudes are talked about in Jesus' teaching about the kingdom, uh, it, it's talked about as a reversal of the world. Uh, that these are, these are values that are a reverse of the world. They're countercultural. And, and clearly that's true when you read through this because, uh, you know, the, that phrase, you know, blessed are those who mourn. You know, no, no one wants to have to be in that place and experience that. I mean, so there's a, there's a sense in which that's true. But there's also a sense in which what these point to is the reality of the kingdom in the midst of us that's already present. Uh, it's already with us. Uh, when we are poor, when we empty ourselves, God fills us. When we are mourning, that's when God sometimes is closest to us and we find his presence most powerfully with us. All of us who've walked through those, those seasons of life where we, we've lost someone close to us or we've lost multiple someones close to us know that oftentimes it, it's in those moments that we are most keenly aware of the presence of God with us. Uh, before I went in to do my sister's funeral years ago, uh, I had asked my wife to run interference for me uh, because I was going to be part of the service and do the eulogy part. And I knew that if I got with all of the family and they all started talking, you know, the emotion would overwhelm me and I would pretty much just be reduced to blubbering up there in front of the crowd. And so I, I said, you know, I, I need you to kind of, you know, give me a little space and, you know, help, you know, protect me so I, I can keep my emotions kind of in check while I do this. And she, uh, so she kind of ran guard for me uh, that morning as we gathered at the church. Uh, but then before I went in and we began to do the service, uh, we were in kind of a back hallway going to that sanctuary. And she stopped and prayed over me and with me. Uh, and there was this, this moment of just, okay. As she prayed, you could just feel God kind of being in that place with us. And God lifting us up. And I still don't know, my, my brother-in-law spoke at that service, I spoke at that service. I, I have no idea how we got through that, except that, that God carried us through it. You know, when, when you lose the things that are most dear to you, uh, that's when you find that you are embraced by the one who is most dear to us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You're blessed with your con when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And there's echoes of Paul here. I've learned the secret of being happy in all circumstances, whether I have uh, everything I need or whether I have nothing, uh, which is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's an echo of, of Paul that you hear in this, uh, kind of in these words that Jesus is speaking. Uh, there's this reality, again, it's kind of countercultural that the meek are the ones that will inherit the earth. But when you listen to what Peterson says, you know, when you find, learn to be content with who you are, not, not with all your stuff, uh, not with position, not power, um, that, that's when you actually find that you in your relationship with God have what really matters. 
the interesting thing about this is uh, uh, a number of years ago I was reading uh, some historical uh, works and as I read through that somebody was reflecting on this passage and saying you know if you actually look at world history uh, the meek actually it's the common people that inherit the earth uh, you look at all the great rulers and the great empires and so forth and so on and eventually they crumble they fall apart and if you read some history of some of the royal families or, and, and, you know, kind of pick anywhere, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes it, it gets really rough. You know, people are killing each other off for the throne and so forth and so on. And in the midst of all that turmoil and political intrigue that goes on, it is the life of the common people that goes from day to day to day to day. You know, during the dark ages of Europe, it was the common people who kept alive the faith of Christ wasn't the royalty it was the farmers uh, and, and the people who worked the animals and the people who were craftsmen those were the folks that kept the faith alive and carried it through that time there's a reality in that that the meek actually do inherit the earth but but Jesus in this teaching is trying to say you know when you're content with who you are not with what you have or how other people think of you or how the people look on you uh, then you're actually free <laughs> You're free to be blessed by the presence of God and be good with that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Now, you know, this is the one that Methodists love, right? Because we like to eat, so, you know, we, we really, yeah, okay, worked up a good appetite. Yeah, that's the great thing, you know, uh, we like that. But there, there's also kind of a basic truth to that, that, you know, we, we tend to take in what we are hungry and thirsty for. The things that we long for the most are the things that become the most important. Uh, I said something about fasting to some of y'all the other day, and I don't know how many of y'all fast, but if you, if you engage in that practice at some point, um, you know, you'll notice around, I don't know, maybe 4.30 or 5 in the afternoon when you've gone all day fasting, all of a sudden dinner becomes really important, you know? I mean, what, what are we going to have? When are we going to eat? And, and, and you find that, you know, if that gets delayed, like, you know, if your wife calls you and says, I'm running late at work today, and so instead of 6.30, we're going to meet at 7, you become really angry. You know, that 30 minutes, man, I've got to go 30 more minutes? Oh my gosh, can't you get off earlier? Because, you know, when we're really hungry, we want to eat. And Jesus just says, that's, that's true spiritually, too. You know, the things that you really long for, if you really long for, that's what you're, you're going to receive. You know, blessed are you when you, you actually hunger and thirst. When you, when you want God so much, it, it, it's like a physical kind of longing for the presence of God. When your gut wants to be in the presence of God so powerfully that it's, it's got a hold of you and gripping you, that, that's, that's, when, that's when you find that you're blessed. Blessed with being filled with the presence of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. It's an interesting kind of paradox that uh, a lot of us have, have kind of learned over the years is that it, it, it's when we're caring for other people, uh, a lot of times that we find ourselves being cared for most richly. 
Uh, and it, that, that can work in a lot of different ways. I mean, we go on mission trips, uh, and supposedly we're going to help folks, and we find that in the midst of going to help them out, actually we, we come home feeling like we received more than what we gave, um, that in being with them they have shared so much love and appreciation with us, and sometimes they have shared their vibrant faith with us so powerfully that we feel richer, we feel richer uh, for having gone and shared with them. Sometimes when we're in the midst of those uh, uh, pity parties that we all get into where we think our life isn't going the way it's supposed to, uh, we, we, we get engaged with someone else who needs help, and we find that in going to help them through whatever they're going, all of a sudden we begin to forget all the other stuff we were feeling so bad about, and we discover, wait a minute, I, I feel so much better because I went over and took them a meal, or I went over and prayed with them, or I went over and helped them with something. There, there is something about opening ourselves up to pour out mercy and love on someone else that makes space in our spirits for God to pour more mercy and love into us. When we share that love of God with others, we don't ever have to worry about that running out. Because what you and I can hold is limited, but what God can pour out is unlimited. And the more we pour out on each other, the more we find that God pours into us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Now, I'm going to put a little caveat in here that sometimes when we say blessed are the pure in heart, uh, and, and even with Eugene's uh, paraphrase of that, we tend to think that what that means is you, you got to get it all down perfect. You know, it's only when you get it all down perfect that you're going to encounter God. Uh, and, and that's really not what the connotation of this uh, means. I mean, it really means, you know, when, when you are striving, when you are working, that, you know, being pure in heart, the, the language there is a kind of a, 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 a present kind of active language. Uh, we're working on being pure in heart. Uh, and it's very similar to that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, when, when we really decide, when we really decide that we are for God, and we begin to see the world that way, then we begin to see God present in the world. A couple of years ago, my young colleague up in Dallas, Andrew Forrest, made a challenge to his congregation. He said, you know, when you get up in the mornings, uh, the first thing you do, you know, affects the whole way you, you see your day. He said, and so I, I realize that the first thing I do, I get up in the morning, I get my cup of coffee, and then I sit down and I, I go through the news feed on my tablet. You know, he looks at all the different stories that are coming up and everything, and that's what frames his day. And he made a decision that what he would do instead was, when he got up in the morning every morning, he would spend some time reading and contemplating and studying Scripture before anything else. And he said it made a huge change in his life, because suddenly it, it allowed him to begin his day seeing it through the lens of God's Word as opposed of through the lens of CNN and MSNBC and Fox and whoever else. And there's a reality to that, that, that when we begin to, to change our focus and, and bring our mind and our heart to be focused on God, and that's the lens through which we begin to see and experience everything, we begin to see God at work in places that otherwise we might miss. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. This is sometimes called the middle child beatitude. Uh, if you're a middle child, you know what that means. You know, you're the peacemaker child between the other two uh, in, in your family. But, but this ability to kind of bring people together. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in our world, uh, you know, we're, you know, it's all about being number one and getting our way. Uh, this is really about giving yourself away to other people. This is about placing other people in front of yourself. Uh, this is about bringing people together instead of dividing them up. And it's a challenge, and it's difficult, and frankly, right now, uh, it oftentimes runs counter to our culture. And yet, interestingly enough, in the midst of dealing with this virus in some ways, uh, it's been interesting to watch some of the political rivals come together. You know, Congress passed a coronavirus relief bill, and it was a by partisan effort. I think that's the first thing that's been bipartisan in a while. Uh, there's, there's something about, when, you know, we, we come together and we begin to decide that there's something bigger than us that we're striving for. And when we do that, we understand that we're part of this family of God. We're, we're not, it's not all about us, but we are part of it and we live into it and we enable it to be strong. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And Peterson says you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution, drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, you count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, Jesus. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable there's kind of a psychological reality behind that statement that Peterson says, which is sometimes when people get angry with it, it's, it's not so much about what we're doing, it's about their level of discomfort with whatever's going on. And we, we kind of need to be able to recognize that sometimes so that instead of becoming defensive, we can continue to be in the conversation with those folks as they're working, working through that discomfort. But the other piece about this, I'm just, I just want to be really clear with you about it, is Jesus really isn't saying, you know, go out and make sure that people get mad at you. He's not saying go out and provoke that. He's not encouraging you to go out and, you know, be obnoxious to other people. Uh, I, I have had in one of my congregations one time an individual who considered it his sworn duty to be sure that he always said the things that would tick the most people off. And, uh, and, and that's really not what he's saying here. He's, he's calling us to be faithful to the gospel and to recognize that when we are in this world, there's going to be times that that is going to be uncomfortable for people to hear. And sometimes that they're even going to come after you. And after all, he's going to remind his disciples later, you know, when he's uh, talking to them that, you know, well, you know, they persecuted the prophets before me. They're going to crucify me. And you can expect some of that same kind of treatment. But he's not asking you to go out and invite it. Uh, he's just reminding you that when you experience it, it means you're on the right track. It means you're on the right track. Now, you know, in this day and age, you know, it seems to me, especially in the last, I don't know, five to ten years, that pretty much any time you go out and make a public statement, that somebody is going to jump on you about that. If you put something on Facebook or on a website or whatever, somebody is going to rip you up about that. It's pretty much guaranteed. So, you know, here, here's the thing. If you're going to get, you know, hit like that, if somebody's going to, you know, run into you that way, you know, with their words and attack you that way, why not, why not 
be attacked because you're standing up for God instead of because you're just standing up for yourself. You know, wouldn't that be a better thing to be able to know that, okay, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm standing up for God, uh, not just because somebody doesn't like me or they're mad at me or they disagree with my politics. I mean, that's what Jesus is reminding us. You know, those moments are going to come. And when they do, you know, be okay with that. But he's not saying provoke them. He's saying just know that when you stand firmly in the faith, there will be those moments. Now, having taught these things, then he's going to remind them a little bit about salt and light. You know, we as the kingdom of God, we're here to be a light to the world. He talks about the light, you know, on the stand that gives light out. Uh, he's going to talk about salt. And, and sometimes salt is one of those things that we in our modern age forget the importance of. Because in Jesus' day and age, salt wasn't just about flavor. Salt was a preservative. Uh, this is what they used. They didn't have refrigeration. So if you wanted to keep meats and so forth uh, fresh for a long period of time, you would dry them and then you would salt them. Uh, having grown up on the Texas coast, all of my salt shakers when I was growing up had rice in them, right? Any of y'all there? You know why it had rice in there, right? Because if you didn't put the rice in there to absorb the moisture, pretty soon your salt turned into this big gray clump of stuff, right? As it Salt absorbs moisture. Uh, it's hydrous. Uh, no, I can't remember the right word. He likes water. Um, and so, so it's a preservative. But, but if it's you know, gotten to where it's that kind of gray goo, uh, it really doesn't have any purpose. And so what he's telling them in this is our job is to light up the world and preserve the world, to be out there in the midst of the world. We have a job to do. So this is who you are. He, he, he doesn't say, uh, this is what I would like you to do. He said, this is who you are. So the question isn't whether you're salt and light, it's just whether you're good salt and whether you're a light that's being seen. And then he does this little, um, I call this re, uh, kind of rephrasing, if you will, of some of the commandments. Where he's going to walk through and uh, he's basically going to kind of raise the bar on us. The law says don't murder, I say don't even insult your neighbor. The law says don't commit adultery. I say don't look with lust at another. The law says you can divorce. I say don't divorce your spouse. The law says don't swear falsely. I say do what you say you'll do. The law says an eye for an eye. I say turn the other cheek. The law says love your neighbor. I say love your enemy. And he takes, he takes the pieces of the law and he raises the bar on us. Jesus repeatedly does this throughout Scripture, but nowhere more clearly than in this passage where he says, this is what, this is what Moses gave you in the law, and now I'm, I'm going I'm to not ratchet that up. I'm going to ratchet that up. I'm going to make it even more demanding upon you. And if we're not careful at that point, it's real easy for us to go to a really bad place. So I want you to hear the rest of what he says when he does that as he talks about this. He's going to go through and he's going to talk about spiritual practices that accompany this. Part of living into this is to be in a life of prayer, uh, to be fasting, to be uh, giving alms to others. But he's going to remind you when you do that, don't do it so other people can see you. you know, the point of this is not for you to score points with the people around you. The point of this is for you to live into the presence of God. So don't do it you know, where make a big show out of it where everybody's looking at you. He's going to remind you that it's not your job to pass judgment on your brothers and sisters, but rather to treat them with the same kind of love you want to be treated with. 
One of the places we get in trouble in the church is we, we kind of ratchet that bar up and we hear that from Jesus, and then we start looking at everybody else to see if they're making that grade, right? And, and really what he's saying is, no, no, you don't need to do that. You just worry about yourself. You know, if everybody in the kingdom worried about themselves and tried to bring themselves into alignment with this, there wouldn't be anybody to look at. I mean, we're all struggling through this as best we can. The point is not for you to be worrying about what someone else is doing. The point is for you to be living into it as much as you can. On that, he reminds people that, uh, you know, don't worry. Now, I, I want to connect this in a way maybe you don't always hear, but he, he's going to talk about it primarily in terms of money and possessions. Don't worry about all that stuff. God knows you need it, and God will provide that for you. So don't worry about that. W worry about living into the kingdom of God. So he's going to raise the bar for us. And then what he's going to say is this, this is, this is the thing you need to really be focused on. Stop, stop worrying about your clothing, your money, what you're going to eat, and all those things that we worry about. But rather, be, be focused on living into the presence of God. Be focused on living into the presence of God. So having said that, then he's going to close uh, with a final little kind of parable. Remember, he's at the Mount of Attitudes, he's looking across um, the sea, and he's looking towards Mount Arbel, and behind Mount Arbel, uh, there is this cleft that runs through, it forms a trail, sometimes called uh, the Valley of the Doves. Uh, it, it also is known as the Valley of the Wind, but there is a Valley of the Winds, plural, uh, that's very famous in Africa. So these days, uh, this is almost always referred to as the Valley of the Doves. And in that valley on part of the, the bluffs of Mount Arbel, there's an area that's uh, very rugged, and as you can see on that, there's some areas carved into that. If you get up closer, you can see the, the openings that are carved into this. Uh, this is a place that was a place of refuge for the people of Israel. Uh, this is where they went in times when there were conflict uh, and they felt physically threatened. Uh, that this is where they went from, from way back when in history to David and, and on into current times when Jesus is speaking and they were in conflict with the Romans and the Greeks. Uh, these are places that they would go and hide out and, and um, you know, kind of go in here as a, a, a keep, if you will, or a, pl safe, a place of safety. Um, could be that when Psalm 121 says, you know, well, where does my help come? My help comes from the hills, that they're thinking about this area. Um, it's, it's a place of refuge. And so as he looks over there and he's looking across the, over the crowd and he sees the mountain in the distance, he's aware of this place. And he begins to say, uh, uh, these words I speak to you, they're not, you know, incidental additions to your life, uh, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're, they're foundational words. They're words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. This rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to that rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard any teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they'd ever heard. I mean, when Jesus is wrapping up the end of that sermon, 
he's reminding them, you know, this is, this is not just for you to come and listen to and hear about. This is not just for us to talk about and then go out and do what we were doing anyway. This is, this is to be the foundation on which your life is based and shaped. And, and when you build on this, I mean, it's like building on a rock. I mean, there's, there's really nothing can shake you. There's nothing can shake you. But you have to live into it. Not just words, it's, it's living into it. Too often when we're reading through these passages, what we begin to say is, okay, so when I get it all straight, then I'll live into it. When I get it all straight in my head, I'll, then I'll live into it. Or, uh, you know, it, it, if I get it all straight and all that and I begin to live into it, that's how I'll make my way into the presence of God. That's not what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you, you live into these and what, you, what you'll find is, presence of God is with you you know that, that that bar that you kept raising up that you're thinking oh man I don't I don't think I can do that you're right you probably can't but if you build your life connected to the presence of God then then the strength and the presence and the power of God working in your life can and the point of the sermon is not to, uh, to create some kind of a self-righteous pattern. And I know this is hard for Methodists because we are Methodists. It's not to create some self-righteous pattern by which we think we earn God's favor. But it's to recognize that when we live in the presence of God, when we live in the presence of God, God enables us to be the people we're called to be. It's not about living our faith to earn God's favor it's about because we have God's favor, we're empowered to live out our faith. And that's an important piece to hold in this because you and I are always going to struggle with it and we're always going to strive with it and we're seldom going to be able to live it out fully. So you need to hear that word of grace in the midst of all of it. That it isn't dependent upon you. It is dependent upon God. That's, that's the rock, that's the foundation that everything is built on. And if we build on that, if we build our lives on that, then, you know, some of us are better carpenters than others, but if we're built on the rock, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And we need to lean into that. That's the, the whole foundation that the kingdom's built on. So instead of hearing these words as something that um, maybe intimidates you or scares you off, I hear them as a call to deeper discipleship and understand that, that God is with you in it and that it's not about whether you can do it or not. It's all about what God can do in you. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your presence with us. Uh, we thank you especially for being present with us in times like this that are frightening. We thank you for coming around us in the presence and the power of your spirit and lifting us up. We thank you in those moments when uh, we are feeling overwhelmed that your strength lifts us and strengthens us, for those moments when we don't understand that your wisdom guides us. And we ask you to walk with us each day, placing into us a, a hunger and a thirst for you. Give us a vision of you. Give us a longing for you. That all of our life, all of our life, might be built upon you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Now, my brothers and sisters, this is a normal place we're going to, we put the Lent challenge up, and I'm going to tell you some of these things are things that right now we're, we're just not sure how we're going to do, and so we're going to be working on that. The pastors are going to be working on some of these things as how we do those uh, at, at, at a distance as we move through them. Uh, so I'm going to invite you on, in your own individual ways uh, to find ways to be in worship and uh, in Bible reading and prayer. Uh, and you can uh, certainly contribute to uh, the mobility carts and the budget of the church, but I invite you to consider ways to do that. Uh, also, um, if there are those here this morning that want to talk to one of us about growing in discipleship or becoming part of the church, we certainly welcome that conversation with you at the close of the service. Um, those of you on Facebook, we'll catch you later. Uh, and uh, with that, I'm going to invite uh, those who are here to stand as they're able, and we're going to sing uh, Lead On, O King Eternal. Lead on, O King Eternal, the day of march has come. Henceforth in fields of conquest, thy tents shall be our home. Through days of preparation, thy grace has made us strong. And now, O King Eternal, we lift our battle song. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Lead on, O King eternal, we follow not with fears. For gladness breaks like morning, where'er thy face appears. Thy cross is lifted o'er us, we journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest, lead on, O God. We remind you to uh, keep checking, and uh, we'll be sending out information this week about how things are changing. We're still figuring all of that out as we move through this, and we will uh, try to communicate with you as well as possible. Uh, as you go out this morning, may God, who is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble, be with each of you. Uh, may the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. May the fellowship and the strength of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.